gap between us, doesn't it? So how about if we do this? There we go. That's better. Lord, do we have questions? All right. Melissa's got questions for us. Yeah, that's been a burning question in my mind since a childhood. And um, Pastor uh, George is going to answer that for us today. <laughs> it seems as though it's a burning question he would like to give the answer to. <laughs> Her name was Don't Look Back. That's a good one. <laughs> All right. Can, can everybody see Pastor Doug? I feel like I'm taller than you. <laughs> Kind of are. I feel like this was not a good idea for me to. That's, what, that's why I was moving the pulpit. I know. I, I just, you know, I have other issues to deal with. But, all right, I'll move it. <laughs> we got this. This is good. You see how we operate? That's how you do it in your house. You just kind of. Well, there was a. There was a. Um, one evening, a lady was. Uh, oh, you got jokes. Commenting on her, her bad exercise habits and her tight clothes. <laughs> and uh, she was criticizing herself, so her four-year-old son said, Oh, Mommy, you look flabulous. <laughs> <laughs> Not good. <laughs> so then uh, uh, one family, uh, they had a habit of naming the cruise control on their cars. Mm. So uh, they were used to hearing the father proclaim, Take it, Max, as he flipped on the cruise control during a long trip. Uh, in our station wagon. Recently, I was traveling with my parents in their new car. When we hit a wide open expanse of highway, my dad leaned back and said, I think I'll let Tom drive for a while. Tom who, I asked, and my mother translated for me, Tom Cruise. (laughs) It's a good name for a cruise control, right? All right. Let's see what kind of questions you have, and we have an answer for every question. Oh, this is starting it off right off the thing. What's our answer for every question? We don't know. If we don't know, we don't know. That's an answer, amen? When the kids are grown and out of the house and you realize course concepts you missed, how do you pray? How do you pray something? With? Or? How do you pray? What do you tell kids? Or what do you tell? Oh, or what do you tell the kids? Well, um, I told you to ask this question, didn't I? Pastor George answered it at our table. So I could tell you his answer. <laughs> but the question is, if, if, you, if you taught them the ways of the Lord when they were little, then you could call that word back. But if you call didn't, the harvest on the seed. Yeah, but if you didn't, what do they do? Well, then they have to just, you know, pray and uh, have a reset. You know, the prodigal... Yeah. 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 The Ephesians prayers, I call them scriptural prayers because they're written in the Bible. You can pray them for a person, for an individual, or for a group. Just put their name in. Pray that their eyes of understanding are mm-hmm. enlightened, that they know the hope of their calling. Yeah. Basically, you, you pray for them like you would a lost person yeah. that's not even related to you. You pray for them from scratch, let's put it that way, because you know better. You know now what to do. And you have to believe that God's going to work. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like we, the prodigal son, I mean, the father of the prodigal son, 
He was praying because he was expecting the return. Because mm-hmm. he saw him from a great distance and he was able to recognize him. And that comes with expectancy. Oh. <laughs> How do you help parents be a parent? Is that possible? How do you operate in the blessing generationally? There's a lot of questions. I said one question per paper. <laughs> How do you break generational curses or is it all taken care of by the blood of Jesus? Well, it's taken care of by the blood of Jesus, yes. The, the blessing of Jesus yes. breaks a generational curse. Yeah, but you certainly don't want to invite it in with your behavior and words yeah. either. You, like, it's broken and it's destroyed, but... I, so I'll tell you what the Lord shared with me uh, today. Uh, actually, today. It was today. Yeah, it wasn't yesterday. It was today. Uh, I was praying in tongues, and all of a sudden, coming out of my mouth, I was saying that, uh, Holy Spirit, help me to um, basically t- reject or take care of any curses spoken against me that I am unaware of. And the thing about it is when you, so this is what I saw that the Lord showed me was, you know, when you're born again and you, I was born again young, I got filled with Holy Spirit young. But when you, when that happens too, you don't know everything yet. Like as you're learning things. Okay. So you may have accepted something spoken against you, which is a word curse, but you don't think it is. You just think it's somebody observing who you are and what you're capable of doing. But those are curses spoken against you to kind of stop you from going any further in certain places. Well, as a, as, as a born-again believer, I don't have the curse. I'm not living under a curse. I'm living under the blessing. However, I could handicap areas of my life by accepting someone else's words about me mm-hmm. without realizing that's what I did. Because I thought, you know, when somebody is older and they get born again, they, um, you know, right, everything is washed away, you know, the brand new creature. And I thought to myself, you know, sometimes the young kids that get born again young, there's stuff that happens after all that washing. There wasn't much wash away except this, you know, they become born again. But in your everyday living, what do you do then? So we always have to be alert. We always have to be on guard. But for the things I didn't know about. Um, when I didn't know about it, yeah. you know what I'm saying? This is why it's so important to be filled with the Holy Spirit, with the evidence of speaking in tongues, because you could have the Holy Spirit pray through you concerning your life yeah. and things you don't know. And, you know, I didn't grow up in a, um, I'll say, I didn't grow up in a Christian home, although we went to church every week. And um, when I was 12, I got born again. And... When I was in Bible school, I had the privilege of leading my parents to the Lord. They were in a meeting that I had in Missouri, and um, I made the altar call, and my parents came up. So I I would just give my parents little by little. Like when we would visit them, when we would be with them, I would just encourage them little by little because they couldn't take big things, right? So I would we would always point things to the Word in a very kind of, a uh, little way, a very subtle way, but over time, I've seen them change. Like, uh, I'll give you an example. My grandfather was going to leave me this all-in-one drill press, drill, drill press lathe. You know, it's this big thing that's about seven feet long. 
And, and my dad said, Doug, you're going to have to haul that to Pennsylvania. He said, that's not even your call. I was like, not even my call? Wow. What language are you speaking? But, you know, my dad, for the first time, he's 87 now, but the first time in his life, he was 78, he read the Bible through. And, and I gave him a one-year Bible, and he read that through. That was the first time in his life that he ever read the Bible. So, uh, you know, breaking things off, sometimes you have to be very loud and bold, but other times you just have to keep feeding into faith, right? Keep, keep interjecting what the Word says. That's not, how, that's not what the Word says, right? When, when you're in conversations, kind of just direct it to the Word, but the thing is, you have to have a lifestyle that backs up yes. what you're saying. Yes. Otherwise, you're only giving law and you're not showing relationship. Yeah. And, the, and that's just... The law kills, but love edifies. Right? So you have to have the love walk to back up what you're saying. Now, yeah. the other part is, if you are wanting anything to happen in your family, and you're speaking it, you're telling them, and you're praying about it, if you're not doing it in faith, then you might as well just say Baba Black Sheep. You have to have faith in the word of God for what you're asking to be done. So you need to get yourself some scriptures. You need to yeah. build a portfolio of word that you're investing in your family. Yes. That's, that would be a good way to do it. Do it like you would an investment. Get, get word portfolio stuff. Yeah. Don't do a bunch of wishes. Here's what we did recently. You know, um, God gave me a helper that doesn't allow me to compromise. <laughs> and when I'm not um, behaving like I should, she calls me Pastor Doug. <laughs> or Preacher Boy, she calls me Preacher Boy. And, um, I said, so, Preacher Boy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, anyway... Uh, <laughs> There was a moment where um, I was letting some things slide, and uh, I wasn't doing things the way they should be done. And so we went out to lunch, and she just really um, challenged me. And uh, so what I did was I went and I prayed to God. Every time that uh, I didn't do things the way they should be done, you know, I'd get called on the carpet, and, but then I would change. I would go to God. So... Yes. What, let me explain yeah, a little yeah, bit. Yeah. <laughs> we got married. I was 23 and you were 28 or 27. Yeah, I was 27. almost 24. I wasn't quite 24. I, I can't take it all the way to the edge <laughs> of my ages. But anyway, and so at that age, when we got married, which God told me, this is my husband. So I agreed. Okay. But when we got married, there was a certain level of leadership that Doug possessed that could handle me at 23. So we have had children, you know, and then I did my doctorate. Well, when I did my doctorate, that took me a couple levels up because God asked me to do it. So it was an instruction from God, which meant it came with God's anointing for something. And it had to do with that level of training. So after that, I, I said, you know, you're going to have to step it up as a leader because this don't work for me anymore. <laughs> That's kind of the conversation we had. Yes. But we've had 20, before that, we had 20-some years of marriage. So me speaking to Doug like that, he knew exactly what was happening. Mm -hmm. I don't, okay, let me explain this. And that you have to decide how your relationship is and what you can handle. I don't beat around the bush when, right. I, when I'm speaking to my husband. I find that manipulative and deceptive. 
I say straight out mm -hmm. what it is that's happening to me, what I, what is wrong, like what I perceive to be wrong. But then I always say to him, I need you to pray and ask the Holy Spirit to give you the answer because mm -hmm. I don't really know the answer either. But I don't want this and I don't like it. That's how I speak to my husband. Yes. If you can't speak that way to your husband, then speak how you can. But here's what you have to do. You cannot be like manipulative and beat around the bush and trying to tell him something, but you're not really telling him something. Like, what is that? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's kind of like you're trying to get something for in a, in a deceptive way. You have to be real and true. So that's what, so we went to lunch and I was not happy. And so Pastor Doug knows when I'm not happy. And, and when I'm like, <laughs> And so we went to lunch and I dished everything out on him and we ate. <laughs> it was and an then, unexpected lunch, but it was a good and lunch. And then the Lord provided what he's about to tell you. <laughs> so um, I went and I had a conversation with God and he showed me some questions. And maybe you want to write these questions down. And I developed what, I, what we call the Pishka family plan. And it doesn't matter what level you are in your marriage, you can still innovate, you can still create, you can still bring things in because there is still potential in you. Mm -hmm. You got to listen to Wednesday's message. And God has potential for every season. So question number one, what kind of family are the Pishkas? And, and, and these were real questions that I began to ask myself and let the Holy Spirit speak to you. So what kind of family are blank? All right. Number two, what do we value as a family? And, and I, have, I have 15 pages of answers for this. And we actually printed a manual that we have called the Pishka family. Because uh, early on in our marriage, we learned that when we wrote something down, it happens. And there's something about writing something down and praying about it that God starts to move and make it happen. Mm -hmm. Early on in our marriage, we said we wanted to double our income. We didn't know how that was going to happen or how God would bring it about. But guess what? He did. Within and, two weeks, yeah. everything we wrote down happened within two weeks. We, we, we went on a, a kind of, we call it a dream retreat at the time, but I don't like the word retreat anymore. I've grown... <laughs> So we went on a dream innovation <laughs> trip. I don't know. And, and we wrote things down. We prayed about it. And we just had fun. And those things that we wrote down, God brought to place and God, God brought to pass in our life. So I wrote this down. Okay. What kind of family are the blank? What, what do we value as a family? What kind of home do we want to have? I'm not going to give you my answers. You got to come up with your own answers. All right. This is your plan. You tailor make it to you. All right. Uh, so what kind of home do we want to have? What standards do the Pishkas adhere to? And I began to list that. And all this comes from the word of God. You got to go to the word. Mm -hmm. You got to go to God and get the answers. And then I investigated his what he wrote. Yes. Down. So when I, when I wrote it all out, I submitted it for for approval. <laughs> And we also uh, sent a copy to our sons as well. And I kind of uh, talked about it to my sons. Um, okay, what kind of standards do the Pishkas adhere to? What kind of legacy do we want to leave to the next generation? What kind of legacy? 
you know, we have two sons. And they're going to have uh, kids. They're going to do things. So what kind of legacy are we building? Um, what kind of marriage do we want to have? You know, you, you create the marriage that you want to have. And finally, uh, what kind of citizens do we want to be? You know, we have to be citizens. So you, everybody have all those? What kind of family are the blank? What do we value as a family? What kind of home do we want to have? What standards do the Pishkas adhere to? What kind of legacy do we want to leave the next generation? What kind of marriage do we want to have? And what kind of citizens do we want to be? And I began to answer those questions with the word, and hence 15 pages came out. So um, so the reason I said, you know, I investigated yeah. it, because I need to give my agreement to this, because we're husband and wife. she's my helper, my partner. And, we're, we're, and so yeah. I am not just going to go, oh, he talked to God, so yeah, honey, yeah, no. I have to be able to give my agreement to it, because yes. my agreement involves me... Uh, agreeing with it through what the word says but then it activates my faith yes with what he already got from god so he has faith for it so now i will have faith for it and and anything you agree to multiplies yes so as a husband and wife what you're agreeing to together multiplies faster than if yeah. somebody off the street would agree with you and that's in the good or bad that's why i tell people you don't agree with your spouse if they're doing something wrong. Cut it. Uh, don't agree with it. Say, I absolutely reject that, and I don't agree with you. You have to say it. Don't just be silent and be like, well, I'm not just going to answer him because I don't like what he's doing. Ah, say it. And, and we did take input from both uh, Gabriel and Josiah, too. Right. I, I asked we got them their feedback yeah. as well. So the point is that... You are in relationship with these people. And yeah. it's deceptive to say yes out loud and mean no inside. Yep. That's deception in your house. You've, you've introduced manipulation and deception. If it's a no, you say it's a no and say why it's a no. So you, and, and ask questions so yeah. you can understand what is trying to happen. Like you can understand why uh, did Doug say it this way? What does he mean by this? It's not like, I can't believe you said that. It's like, explain this to me. What were mm -hmm. you thinking? And then together you might actually come up with a very robust phrase that could be taken through the generations without an explanation. You understand what I'm saying? Where it's fully understood. Yeah. So this, this is the kind of um, communication you need to develop in your house. And it starts with not saying yes, but meaning no. A lot of women do this, by the way. They're not in agreement. They're not. Because if I say no, he's going to get so mad. Well, let him get mad. <laughs> Learn how to deal with the mad version of your person. And then let them calm down and, and, and say, you're over it now. Let's have a conversation. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, okay, that's good for you. Nice, nice. Good for you. <laughs> so we've been married 26 years. Yeah. And, and God is still showing us things and teaching us things. And I think, what's the next question? What should you have in place before starting a family? And everything we just said. <laughs> well, you should have a relationship with God and... You should be ready to uh, implement the Bible into your family. I would say, if you don't have children as yet, 
you should um, consider you should build your your personal relationship so strong that um, you don't have doubts about each other's feelings. Mm-hmm. So, like, you don't doubt whether the person likes you, whether they don't like you, whether they like what you do, whether they like how you are. Because when you have children and you have become sleep-deprived in the early days, and you, you, you might just, like, be, you know, you might be short-tempered or something. And in those times, you just need to know, like, they don't not like me. They, they're just tired. Yeah. So, so f- to get to what I'm saying, you both have to have security about your who you are. You, you, you can't have this low self-esteem, I need you to validate me nonsense. You, <laughs> you yeah. need to get in the word and be validated as who you are in Christ and set that up. That right there will set you up. Yeah. For everything. Marriage doesn't make you whole because you don't enter into a marriage half a person. Right. We don't want half the person in marriage. Jesus makes you whole, right? So, you know, you really need to, um, like when Doug, when we had Gabriel, oh my gosh. Yeah, we, we didn't have kids for five years. It was horrible when we had Gabriel. Sorry, Gabes. We <laughs> because it threw us for a loop because we had no idea what we're about to get into. Yeah, when we got married, our pastor said, oh, you guys are in the Bible. Yeah, you're Uh, good. You're good. You don't need any counseling or whatever. Okay. But what happened was, I don't think counseling would have mattered then. We were fine. What happened when we had Gabriel, I was three months pregnant when we came here. Yeah. So when we had Gabriel, we were already pastoring the church. And then like, you know, six months later. And I was working a full-time job. Doug was working a full-time job. We were living in Ephrata. Yeah. And so we would commute to church. Mm -hmm. But the other side of it was the people in the church, um, they hated me. Mm Mm-hmm. And so they would speak evil against me, and they would look for everything, and it was just a mess. It was, I, I was just like, oh, my God. And then I was just sleep-deprived, and it was crazy. So, <laughs> so if Doug and I weren't, like, solid in God, we would have been, I would have been like, you know what? Why don't you just go live a life and leave me alone? Yeah. <laughs> but, but because we had the strong foundation with God, we yeah. could stand up against all these things. When I say it was horrible, it's not that it was such a terrible thing we had a son. It was that we weren't prepared for what ended up happening, that we didn't prepare for it as far as like sleep and, you know. And then Gabriel, I don't know what I did as a mother, but this child could not be put down. (laughs) So mommy had to hold him all the time. I mean, I tried everything, but it's okay. He's, look at how well he is today. <laughs> but the thing is, yes. with no parenting skill in that realm, you know, and, and the church were traveling back and forth. People are calling. That was the other part. They were calling me constantly all day long, gossiping about other people in the form of a prayer request. So those were all things that we didn't stand for. So we were trying to straighten out a very crooked and broken church yeah. while we're, we're our family. You know what I'm saying? But we, got, we figured it out. We figured yeah. it out, and we grew from it, and, and we as individuals grew. And it was in that atmosphere that we just decided that we're going to love people yep. no matter what. Yep, that was our saying. We started saying, mm-hmm. we love people. Yep. So no matter what people did to us, they could never get us to talk bad about them. So you know, that, that makes an interesting point. Your mouth and your words have a lot to do with what you produce. Yes, yes. So, 
so our house, we have rules for what we say. Yeah. Uh, we catch each other. So if it's ever said. Yeah. We, um, one thing too, we've had people stay at our house because we wanted a house that we could entertain. We've had family members and friends actually live with us. And everyone that lived with us had to go to church. Oh, that's our rule. Yeah. If you're in our house and church is happening, you have to go to church. Yep. You don't have to come to our church, but you have to go yeah, to church. Yeah, you have to In other church. words, you're not allowed to be in the house while we're at church. Right. That's unacceptable. We had three Chinese exchange. We did the Chinese exchange student thing, and we had the three um, Yeah, that was just teachers. a temporary thing. We yeah. had the three teachers. The principal. The principal. <laughs> The science teacher and the English teacher who yeah. did not know much English, by the way. <laughs> so they, the rule was for this whole process was that they would do whatever the family did. You know, that's the whole point that the kids come. So if you went to church on a Sunday, the kids were coming to church on Sunday. Yeah. Well, these teachers decided, no, we're not going to church with you. I said, well, then you can't stay in the house while we're at church. We had this big argument without knowing much English. I was carrying on. Yeah. So the principal was looking at me like, I'm sure he's never been spoken to like that before, but I don't care. You're in my house. Like, that's my rules. Mm-hmm. So they actually got themselves a taxi. I said, we can't take you either because the malls aren't open and it's church for us. We're not going to drive you to the mall. That's that way. We're going this way. So they got a taxi to take them to the mall that wasn't open yet. And they stayed at the mall and came back later that uh, day after they we went got home. Harrisburg, whatever, yeah, yeah. To whatever that happened. But the point is, here's why. Here's why that matters. There are angels that record things we do. Yes. And I always say, according to the records of heaven, this is what it will show. So I don't care what man says about right. decisions I've made or things I've done. I always am thinking, according to the records in heaven, what would it say about how I came to this decision? Mm-hmm. And that's how I do. That's how I make decisions. Is that if God had to bring out the, the evidence books, if an if a mm-hmm. accusation was brought up against me about something yep. I did, in heaven there's enough evidence to show that I made the right decision. Yep. And, you know, Gabriel, he played hockey for two years. And if there was a hockey game during church time, we already told the coach that we wouldn't be there. Right. If there was practice on, you know, yep. so we have Wednesday and Sunday. Those two days were off limits. Not even that we're not yep. quite, we don't care if it's a championship thing. We don't care what yep. it is. If you want to have a game on that day, my son don't play on that day. Yep. If you want to practice on that day, he doesn't do it on that day either. It's worked out pretty well for him, I'd say. So... <laughs> The other thing that I did with work was I worked for Walmart at the time when we first, after I had Gabriel, I decided I need a job um, for sanity purposes. But um, so I thought, Walmart, they're open 24-7. I'll just see what jobs they have. Mind you, I have a master's in business, but I'm going to go work for Walmart because it's a 24-7 business. So I ended up being assistant manager. Well, when I first started working, I said to my boss, the manager, I said, you know, I would not be able to work on Wednesday nights because we have church and Sunday mornings. And he looked at me and laughed. And he said, we don't do that here. I said, well, you will. Either I ask you or I go to the guy who you would ask. Like, tell me. But that's not an option. And he said, nobody in the whole Walmart would ever, they don't cater to that. I said, but they'll cater to me. So either you ask or I ask, you let me know. Either one will work for me. So he said, I'll ask. So he asked. I went to work the next time. He goes, you have your request has been granted. Sounds good to me. (laughs) So I worked for a company that worked 24-7. Now they don't, but back then they did. And I was able to 
get those time off, those days mm-hmm. off, right? I'm just saying to you, if you want to do something for God, you need to ask the people that are lower than God to adjust themselves so you can accommodate yes. God. And many times we flip it. We're trying to ask God to accommodate his schedule. Like if only church would be this time and this time, then we would make it. Well, how many people do you think say that? Like if we did that for everybody, when are we going to have a time for God? Mm-hmm. Like when is God's house going to have a scheduled time for God? Do you see what I'm saying? So it has to be flipped now where we're going to the humans that God created and we're saying to the humans, we want this time for God who made all of us, by the way. And so what can you do to accommodate me having my time for God? Like we just got to ask. Some people don't even ask. They just go ahead and bow. They don't ask. My point is just ask. right? And then you go from there. You see, but at least you've asked. At least you've asked, right? All right. Any other questions? Yeah, we got last more. <laughs> You're learning something, though, from all this blabbing we're doing? Okay. How do you leave an inheritance if you're single? If you're single and want to be married, what should you do first? Or confess. Oh, do or confess. Yes, yes, yes. How does raising kids change when you're in a position of authority over them, but not their parents. It's a blended family. Ah. Okay. Well, you, you, uh, you be a, the best mentor that you can be. You know, Paul considered Timothy a son in the faith. And he said, you have many teachers, but not many fathers. You know, being a father is more than just physically reproducing a seed it's being an example it's um being a leader uh being uh you know it's it's a relationship and uh i mean god is a father he's the father to the fatherless right so someone who doesn't have a father can experience fatherhood from god because God is the perfect example of what a father should be. And as far as how do you leave an inheritance if you're single, you decide who gets it. Ask the Holy yeah. Spirit. Ask the Holy Spirit, who do you want me to hook up with? Which lineage or how many lineages yeah. should I hook up with and leave an inheritance for? Yeah. And, and when I was single, I always confessed even publicly that I'm saving myself for marriage. And that I'm going to marry a queen. And I always said I'm going to marry someone like Gloria Copeland because that's who I knew at the time. But I got Fiona, who's much better. Who's Fiona? Yes. Doug would say, I always told God I want to marry a woman uh, who, well, can, who can preach, who's like Gloria Copeland, can preach like uh, Joyce Myers or something. I don't know about that. I don't remember. Anyway, I said, well, uh, yeah. I am uncomparable. I am exactly. Fiona. You married Fiona. Exactly. <laughs> When I was single, though, that, I didn't know that Fiona existed. <laughs> so I was going with the model Some that I had. frame of reference. Yes. He had to have a frame of reference. I wanted a lady that could uh, help me in ministry because I knew I was called to ministry. Right. I never said I wanted to be a preacher's wife. Actually, I was shocked when I found out that's what's going to end up happening. I, <laughs> I, always, I always knew 
business was my thing. Every path God led me down was to do business. You know, I studied business. I did business. I was taught of business things. And so when God showed me this would be my husband, first of all, I thought the guy had a terrible rash. You guys have all heard the stories. Horrible rash. I'm like, so I'm sitting there looking, going, this poor guy. He has such a terrible rash. He would be so handsome if his face didn't look so awful. This was at college. And they were doing an icebreaker, and I was a leader in this group, and I was the brunt of the joke that night. And so they were putting makeup on me in a way that I didn't know that they were putting makeup on me, because it's a game that you play called Cheeky Cheeky. <laughs> and so... Their fingers had makeup, so whatever yeah, you did to the other Fiona's person... Fiona's first person. encounter with me is she, she thought I was a gangster from Chicago with a rash. <laughs> so when God showed me... Who my husband was going to be. I said, first of all, I just arrived. I've been here a month at college. Let me play the field. I'm having this conversation with God sitting there. And I said, first of all, <laughs> I don't want to marry no ex-gangster. <laughs> like, I'm like <laughs> I was convinced that he was dressed with inside-out pants. Yeah, I, A big biker's jacket. Yes. Boots so high, like these combat boots you know the whole thing looked like he came from a gang so i'm thinking so then the other guy that was next to him whatever his ministry was right the other guy right smooth face sleek combed he had long hair but it was sleek and combed back uh dressed very and i go like 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 a preacher's kid like maybe that guy it turns out that guy was from the gang (laughs) that was the gangster after yeah Anyway, I'm just saying, <laughs> your idea of who you might marry may not match up with what they look like in the first impression. So just don't write and, it off. <laughs> and, you know, Fiona was praying in, behind the scenes that she wanted uh, her husband to have more than just a Bible degree, but also business. So when I graduated Rama, guess what I got? I got a business degree. <laughs> That's how God works. It was at that school he was getting the business degree that we met. But we never dated there. We couldn't. We had lots to fix between us before we could date. But um, uh, so if you're single and you want to be married, what should you do? Uh, Or confess, we just told you everything we did. (laughs) So maybe that's what you could do. You have to decide what type of person you want to help. Start there. God will have something better than you could imagine. But you got to at least do something. You got to at least. Like, decide that you want somebody. You yeah. know what I'm saying? You can't just be like, well, if God does it, he'll do it. Well, okay. Sure. <laughs> That's like asking for leftovers, you know. Like, God, whoever was rejected by everybody else, I'll take them. <laughs> like, if you don't say what you want, you're asking for leftovers. That's just what it comes down to. Think about it. If yes. you, <laughs> did you ever hear the story about uh, with Ronald Reagan when the, the, um, the shoe guy, what do you call a shoemaker? Uh, a shoemaker. Cobbler. A cobbler, yeah. yeah. <laughs> asked him uh, how he wants his shoe to be made. His mom, I think he, it was him. He asked him, do you want rounded tip shoes or square tip shoes? And so he couldn't decide. And he said anything. or He didn't, he didn't yeah, know whatever. anything. Whatever. So when he went back to get his shoe, one was rounded and one was square. And then the man taught him a lesson and said, next time you have to say what you want or else you're going to get what somebody gives you. Yeah. So, I don't know if you ever heard that story, but that's a good one. I don't know if he said it or, you know, if it's true, but it sounds good and it's a great analogy. My point is, you ha- if you don't know what you want, guess what you're doing? You're setting somebody else up to blame if it doesn't work out. 
And you know what else you're doing? You're deciding. You're not going to put any work into this. You're not going to do any faith, nothing. You're not going to confess nothing. You're just going to kind of exist. Well, what is that? <laughs> like nobody wants to be around that. So first you have to be decide, I want to be married. That's a great decision right there. And next, I would like the person to have this, this, and this. That's my heart's desire. Mm-hmm. So one of my heart's desire for Doug was that, not for Doug, for my husband, was that he could have a five o'clock shadow. When I met Doug, his face was so smooth. It was like I could a shave baby. for a week and be good. I, I could shave for a day and be good for a week. Yeah. So I knew that. So when God already told me this is going to be your husband, but there are things I saw in him I, I didn't like at all. I was like, I don't want a husband like that. So I would be like putting these criteria that didn't fit Doug. Well, everything I wrote down, Doug changed into. Yes. And I'm like, huh. So the final thing was I graduated from the school we went to together. I had already graduated. And I went to Regent University to get my master's. He was still finishing up his bachelor's. I came back, and because he was the only one left in town that I knew, uh, we went out for coffee one night. And I'm sitting there, and then I look at him, and I go, is that a 5 o'clock shadow on your face? And he goes, it's the weirdest thing ever. About two weeks ago, I woke up, and I shaved, and all of a sudden... I have to shave every day. I have never done that in my whole life. He said, I've been praying for years that I would be able to do that. But all of a sudden, two weeks ago, I went, no way. I'm thinking to myself, there is no way. I mean, because, I don't like grow a big, thick beard, but. But the five o'clock yeah. shadow, yeah. That's good for Never me. underestimate the power of a praying woman. But listen. She can pray hair on your face. That's a powerful woman. My point is. God needed us to be married. Yes. So God was willing. He, he'll take, I equate it to this. You know when you go get a brand new car? I don't know if you know or you don't know. But anyway, when you get a brand new car, like you could pick the model, right? But then they always say like, what features do you want? Like you could, do you want the leather seat? Do you want the cloth seat? I kind of equate it that way. You know, God will yeah. show you who you're supposed to marry. That's good. But then you got to start adding features. Just say, God, I want a person that has this, this, and this. Mm-hmm. Well, watch what God could do. And here's another test. If you see them changing, it's a nice little clue that they can hear God. Yes. And follow God's instructions. And you go, oh, you don't want to marry somebody that disobeys God. Mm-hmm. That's a rebellious person. So for this person who's like, what should you confess? Somebody who listens to God and answers him right away. That's that's how you, that's Mr. Right yeah. right there. That's Mr. Right. Okay. Hope we answered that. What else? Go ahead. How does co-parenting work for divorced couple with kids or people dating with kids? Are dating apps a great a good way to meet people? Well, sure, why not? Are how does raising a family Work. Work when you travel. If you travel a lot for work, military, all that. And daily devotions as a family, important or do individual devotions? Okay. Well, there's a lot of questions. This is four questions. Okay. How does uh, cooperating work with divorced people? Like anything, communication. 
Yes. Like if, if there's a rebellion in you, you'll never be able to cooperate with anybody, including yourself. So you communicate, you talk about things, and you come to a, a common agreement. So if you're not getting the gist of what I'm saying yet, everything comes down to you knowing what you want. Yeah. If you're kind of wishy-washy and you're hoping something happens that you didn't ask for, well, okay, leftovers, I'm just saying. But if you know what you want, it's a good start. God will give you more yeah. than you could ask or think. But you've got to have the guts to ask or think. And then he'll add to it. Do you see what I'm saying? So even if you're already married and you don't like what your spouse is dishing out, ask for a different dish. Yeah, and, and you know, there's Change a lot of... the menu. There, there's a lot of blended families in the Bible. Yeah. Well, yeah J- Jacob had a blended family. Four wives. He blended it himself. You know, yeah. He put it's a blender family. <laughs> Um, dating apps, why not? My best friend, she found her husband on a dating app. They're doing quite well. Yeah. Um, to me, it's the... It, it's <laughs> you use what you got available. <laughs> God will send the person to you however they can get to you. You understand yes. what I'm saying? Like, it could be... It, don't limit God to how you can find a person. You know, I saw this in my sister. And uh, she, was a full t- she was a registered nurse living at home making good money, and she was called to the mission field. So God called her to do a YWAM uh, in the Philippines. So she was leaving everything, and she was going to be in the Philippines for six months. So she went. <laughs> she, when she got to the Philippines, the person that was supposed to pick her up didn't show up, and she ended up getting a mild case of malaria in the Philippines. But... At that base, she met someone named Kel Steiner, who was 15 years older than her. And uh, long story short, God worked it out for us to, for our family to go to Hawaii at the same time that my sister was going to be there. And it just reassured everything. But she was talking about this man. So she was following God, doing what God wanted her to do. And God had this blessing on the plan. Okay, you follow God's plan. He has blessings on the path of his plan, right? Not not apart from the plan, but on the plan. And she ran into a blessing and they're still married today. And uh, so that spoke to me that when you follow God, you're going to meet the right person. Right. Which will answer the question, yes. are dating apps good? Because if God tells yeah. you get on the dating app, get on the dating app. Okay, if God says go hold a sign up at the corner of the street, hold a sign up at the corner of the street. Yeah. I mean, like, sir, it, it's a, it, when you follow God's instructions, it's amazing what will happen. I highly recommend you read the book that Pastor um, Nelson and Nadine just wrote about their yes. marriage testimony. Oh, look at that. Grace has it. Yeah. And that book will show you exactly how they ended up getting married. Yes. They followed the voice of the Holy Spirit. God's got his own app. It's called the Holy yeah. Ghost app. <laughs> so so it, uh, I think, you know, we can limit ourselves to the culture we end up in. Yeah. We can limit ourselves to the neighborhood we end up living in. But, but God's book was written for all mankind. And the kingdom so culture always yeah. triumphs over our culture. Yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, raising a family, um, if, you're tra- you know, if you're traveling a lot, listen, God knows 
who could be um, teamed up with you if you travel a lot. Yeah. He knows what's the best spouse for that. You he know, knows. Brother Hagen sometimes, he was, he was on the road a lot traveling as a minister. He, sometimes he would drive all night just to come back home to have a meal with his family, to connect, so they go back. You know, you do what you got to do, even in that situation. So but if again, you travel a lot, if you can't you come up verb- with a plan. Yeah, if you can't verbally communicate, it's, diff- it's difficult to travel yeah. and have connection because you're not verbally communicating. You know, you yeah. can't be in front of each other. You know, some people, um, like some marriages, they have um, body language communication. So I'm happy with you, so I'll hug you. I'm mad. Like, you know what I'm saying? Their way of communicating is body language driven. If that's your marriage, you should switch it up and use words. Mm-hmm. You know, like, yes. let the words, words out. Words are amazing. Because when you do the body language, your whole body gets involved in this strifeful thinking. Yeah. And this, 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 yeah, tension. Yeah, and it puts stress on your whole body. Mm-hmm. Get the words out your mouth. This is why I tell people, if you guys saw how Pastor Doug and I communicate when there's an issue, you would think we're about to get a divorce, or you would think, like, I can't believe they're preachers. But because people have a conceived idea, a preconceived idea. the painting story. The painting story. Yeah. I think we told the painting story, didn't we? Yeah, there's probably some people oh, that yeah. didn't hear it. So the painting story, we're just married, like, maybe a month. We're yeah. married about a month. So we are, we got a house, we have a house, and we're painting a wall in the house. And Doug was painting at the time as his job. He was I a painter. How, yeah. So he's, he is the professional. professional. <laughs> so me, never painted a thing in my life. I'm helping to paint. So I've got the roller. I'm listening to the logistics of what we have to do. We have to take this color and put it on that wall. Easy enough. And we use this thing right here. It's called a roller. We'll dip it in, and we put it on the wall. So I did, I'm doing this. Verbally, he has explained to me what has to be done. My, he's still there painting part of the wall too, and I'm doing it. And then he's, I'm doing it, and I'm not doing it right. Now, the right, mind you, was based on his version of how a painter should paint. So, so I'm thinking, and the, and the way he's saying it was just very like, you know, whatever, however. Yeah. I dropped that little roller. <laughs> I marched into our bedroom because that was the only other place to go. Our friend was there helping us paint. He's watching this entire scene carry on with his, he's like, so I go to the room. He comes in the room. Oh, my love, I'm so sorry. I said, let me explain something to mm-hmm. you. This was exactly how I spoke to exactly, my husband. Yeah. Let me explain something to you. You're telling me that God called you to lead people and you can't even teach me how to properly paint a wall without having an attitude about it like you're better than me i don't think so <laughs> this was this is how i said it exactly yes. i said i'm not gonna help somebody be a leader who leads like that <laughs> I said if you can't lead me properly and tell me how to paint you're not leading nobody <laughs> Because well, I'm not helping. And, and that was solved within minutes. And within seconds. Yes. He goes, I'm so sorry, my love. That uh, We come out. I got a lesson. On, and our friend still like this. He goes, I have never in my life seen two people so mad and walk out like this. And he was like. 
that just would never happen. He said, for me, it would have been days. Yeah, it would have been days yeah. and stuff. I'm like, I've got days. I am not wasting right. days on this kind of nonsense. We straighten it out now. Do yeah. you understand know what I'm saying? But that was the beginning of our marriage, and it set the stage for yes. how things are about to happen. Like, I have a high standard, and it needs yeah. to be, you know, and I don't. I'll, I'll, I'll tell another story, too, because it's fun. <laughs> but uh, the house that we had, uh, it had a kitchen, a dining room, and a living room, right? And you could go to all three. <laughs> well, I was always a type of person that I would keep things in, right? And so... Fiona said something to me, don't know what she said, but it bothered me. And she goes, that bothered you? And I said, no, but I was really saying yes. <laughs> she said, that bothered you? And I said, no. So I was walking past the couch in the living room. She jumped on the couch, got me in a headlock, <laughs> and we fell to the ground. I was laughing so hard. She, and I said, yes, yes, that bothered me. <laughs> but that was necessary to open me up. So sometimes you got to do what you got to do. <laughs> well, I, from that day on, I said to him, yes. don't you ever feel something about something and hold it in. Yes. And I have to go to this drastic measure to get it on you again. <laughs> That's not what I want to be married to. I set the precedent pretty early to what I expect mm-hmm. in marriage, how I expect to be treated. Let's put it that way, how I expect to be treated. Because I was like... I honestly, besides sex, there's no other reason for me to be married, frankly, from what I'm looking at. So we got to figure this out because I can get out real fast. Like, this is my thinking. There's a lot more reasons to be married besides that. But in my head, (laughs) at about a month into marriage, I was making these things known. But the thing about it, what that did for us, though is I didn't pretend and go like, oh, well, someday he'll change and go to prayer. Lord, please change my husband. Oh, he just hurt my feelings so bad. No. I said what I wanted, how I wanted. And I would pray. Yes. I would say this. I told the women this. Like, we didn't have cell phones back then. So, like, if, if Doug would say something to me and it would bug me, it would, like, hurt my feelings or something. And we would go to work. I would never say anything to him. Or, or, and I, on the way to work, I would say, Lord... What Doug just said to me really bothers me. So either something in me has to change or something in him. So whichever one it is, uh, I ask you to change it. So it might just be I'm too touchy or something. Mm-hmm. And if that's the case, then please change it in me. If, if it's something that he should not do and he needs to change, change it in him. Do you know the ones where he should not do it? I'd come home from work. We'd go work all day long. Mm-hmm. He'd be standing at the door waiting, apologizing mm-hmm. For the exact phrase of an entire conversation that bothered me. Mm-hmm. And then we fix it and, it and we move on. Do you see? So yeah. it, you have to involve God in the communication of your marriage. When, when I would say these things that I said to Doug, it was never in a, in a mode of I'm better than you. How dare you? It was in a mode of my standards are being mm-hmm. violated yeah. and I won't, ha- I won't put up with that. You understand what I'm saying? That, there's a difference. Yes, sir. Hey, we have a video we're going to act on that. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we'll do a skit of it sometime. <laughs> oh, my. Yeah. So this question I think that Pastor uh, John George should answer because he's the one that brought it up. So I'll read it, and then he could answer it maybe. It says, practically... What does it mean to honor your father and mother yet still get away from the funky 
evil nonsense. I'll have you answer it in the mic so that online they can hear it as well. My dad left when I was four. I never lived with him again until I was 13 and 14. And left him when I was 14. So I lived with my mom the first 12 years. Lived with my dad for two years. Of all the thousands of games and practices and all the sports, literally thousands, my dad never watched me play any sport, including the Friday Night Lights school that I attended. I played football for the Friday Night Lights school they made the movie, the book about. My state championship in high school football was on television. He never watched I played college football for three years. He never saw a game, even though we're on TV every week. So I was bitter. I was bitter at my mom because I was the last one she had. My dad left, my brother left, and I'm, my dog died, and now all she has is me, and she hits me over the head with a skillet. I was bitter. Again, I didn't come from a Christian home. So I didn't know how to deal with unforgiveness, which leads to bitterness, right? So when I got born again, then I, then I grew, developed in the Lord, studied the Word. And the Lord said, uh, how can you teach honor your father and mother when you're not honoring your own? And I said, Lord, they don't deserve honor. He said, I, I, I didn't read that. There's no footnote that says honor your father and mother. For this is verse commandment with promise that it may be well with thee and thou mayest live long on the earth. He didn't say, he, 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 he said that there is no footnote that says only if they deserve it. Honor your father and mother only if they deserve it. So I, I, got, I got the memo. So I began with my own money my own time, I lived 500 miles away from my dad, 400 miles away from my mom. They were separated, of course, long since divorced, married other people, divorced again. I started investing into that relationship, phone calls, visits, taking our children once they were they were born, the very first uh Christmas I had as a married man, I took my wife to my dad's, again, 500 miles away, on our nickel, which we couldn't really afford it at the time, but we we found a way and started investing in that relationship, and that continued on. My dad never, ever hugged me, never told me he loved me until I was in my 40s when I would press in and do that to him. In other words, my dad, can you stand up, Pastor? You go visit my dad. He hasn't seen me in nine months, 12 months, maybe a year. And I'd go greet my dad, and I would 
go to hug him, and he'd stick out his hand like that. So I would grab his hand. He just wants to shake hands like this as a distance. So by then, I was bigger than him. I would pull him in and grab him and say, Dad, I love you. Well, okay. Thank you. But after years of that, he starts saying, I love you back. You have to be bigger than your hurt. You have to be bigger than your past. You have to be bigger than the abuse. You have to be bigger than the bitterness. We're commanded to do that. It's not a suggestion. It's one of the Ten Commandments, not Ten Suggestions. Amen? So when your children see that, That influences them. That impacts them. Now, thankfully, my dad did not live a terribly ungodly lifestyle. In fact, my dad and my stepmom watched my former pastor, John Osteen, every Sunday morning on television. Joel Osteen's dad, the founding pastor of Lakewood. And so now we had some, something in common. My dad never heard me speak. I never heard my brother speak that we know of. But, you know, people always say, man, I bet your parents are really proud of you two boys, blah, blah. You have no idea. You have no idea. Our mom has every reason to be living a godly life. Somebody asked me recently that has known my mom for years, hey, is your is your mom's... Is, is your mom still living? And I, and I said, yes, yeah, she's 91, and she's, she's too mean to die. My brother and I have taken care of her for the last 40 years, and we've had her in every denominational senior's home in the whole Tulsa area. We've been through the Baptist, the Methodist, the Church of Christ, the, the Nazarene, the disciples of Christ, the Catholic, we've run out of denominational homes because she keeps getting kicked out. The reason she hasn't died, in our opinion, (laughs) very unhealthy drugs, alcohol, cigarettes, is because God is long-suffering for her to repent She's wicked. Backslidden people are more wicked than naturally ungodly people. Why? Because they're bitter and they're mean and they're ugly. The reason they're bitter is because they refuse to forgive. And it's everybody else's fault. They're the victim. It's everybody else's fault that they're the way they are. Wait a minute. You haven't had a job for 45, 50 years. And it's everybody else's fault. See what I'm saying? You could you could reason this to pieces, but you have to go go back to the word. What does the word command you to do? Command you to forgive, to walk in love. That doesn't mean let them run over you in their walk. In my first ten seconds of a conversation on the telephone with her, Mom, we're not going there. 
I can hang this call up. I don't have to call you. We're not going there. You're not, we're not going to have this conversation because it's always about how unfair everybody else is. It's always about how life is treating her badly or how about the family is this and the family is that and the family is this. And see, nobody wants to talk to her anymore because she's that way. But I'll talk to her, and it doesn't, doesn't eat me up. But you have to have standards. You have to have rules. The same thing applies with your blended family. If you're married and you, you inherit what we call stepchildren, you still have to have house rules, and it doesn't matter who they are. You can't let them rule your house. You rule your house. That's the answer to another question. But, see, I grew up in that. So you, you have to have house rules, and these are the standards, and these are the issues. My daughter has one of those issues as well. And they ended up having this young man have to move out of their home because they're, they're not going to tolerate that spirit in their house. Right? So yeah, 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 bottom line, the answer to a lot of those questions is we're not last, God's last resort. We're not that person's last resort. So we need to, you said it earlier, both of you said it earlier, trust the Word. Trust the Word. And you can't, you can't be saying, well, you know, my kids are driving me crazy and they're going to turn out to be nothing. And You can't be quoting that stuff over them. You need to quote the Word over them. And what I said at the table earlier is when you have a prodigal, what do you, when you have somebody that's rebellious, when you have somebody, if you've put the Word in them, you call to the seed of that Word in their lives that it will produce a harvest. The Word is more powerful than their flesh. And eventually they will change. And let me just add that because it has, has to do with this and I'll stop. If you have that, that child that's prodigal or not obedient, etc., etc., be patient, speak the Word, Quote the word, Ephesians chapter 1, put their name in there. That they would have the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of you, Lord, and name their name. And confess the word. Thank God that the word is true. Don't worry. Don't fret. And the best way not to worry or fret, because that's fear, the best way not to do that is to believe the word. But, this is something that happens to all of us whether we have blended families or not. You know when they turn about 13 or 14 and they know everything and you now know nothing? Right? That's going to flip. When they get in their 20-somethings, sometimes 30-somethings, they're going to call you and ask you, what about this? Here's an example. My son called me. He was never rebellious, but he still he still kind of had that tude. Okay, most most young people did, and so did we. So did we. Turn to your neighbor and say, "So did you." When you you thought you knew everything, and your parents now knew nothing, and you you know you were the smartest person in the room. So my son calls me one day from four hundred miles away. He calls me, Dad. I'm filling out this paperwork 
for this for this finance thing, what does APR mean? And I said, April, and then I hung up the phone. <laughs> Call me back. Dad, Dad, what does it mean? It's the fourth month of the year. Hung up the phone. <laughs> Call me back. Dad, I don't have time for this. I said, what? You don't have... You don't have time for what? Are you admitting that I now know something that you don't know? Yes. It's going to come back. Thank you. And you know what? No matter how good or bad parents may be, they're the reason you're on this planet. And that's a reason to honor them. Yeah. So, you know, everything Pastor George said, um, that you just, the Holy Spirit could lead you on what's a good way to honor them and not dishonor yeah. your standards. You know, you just ask him. We, we have time for just a couple more things. I jotted down some things. Doug had notes, and I jotted down. Yeah, I'm not going to go into my notes. You're not going to go into your notes. Okay. No. But Doug said the first thing. He gave you guys the plan that he developed for our yeah. family um, to have the first thing. The first recommendation, this is a recommendation of a guide of how you can kind of set your house up. Yeah. You, the Holy Spirit has to be the one that directs you specifically for your house because he knows the people that are living there. But the one thing is have a plan. And then um, one of the things that I, I, I jotted down here is examine your daily activities to see how much, right, Time, touch, giving of gifts, words of affirmation, acts of service um, are being shared with each other. Now, this is what we know, the love languages, right? So this is what we know as psychology has brought it out, a Christian author brought it up, you know, these five love languages. They're pretty close to, like, a lot of things. It's not the answer to it all. But, But it gives us a good frame of reference of how we can interact with each other, right? Now... If you don't have a certain love language skill, it's not your love language, so you don't really care for it. You think it's not valid because if you try to show love that way, you're thinking, well, I wouldn't want to be loved that way, but this is how that person wants to be loved. Then what you need to do is, I'm teaching this in my high value women's group, but you have to develop intrinsic motivation to want to behave in that love language. And intrinsic motivation means that something from the outside doesn't have to activate you to move. It's something internal to you that you've developed and say, I love doing this. So if your spouse has words of affirmation as their love language, but it's not something that does anything for you, you need to develop intrinsic motivation to do words of affirmation because it is something your spouse would be able to uh, feel loved by. So when we were just married, you know, Pastor Doug, that's one of his love languages. And I'm like, you know, this just really feels weird. I don't want to be going over to some grown man and telling him, good job, honey. But <laughs> I feel like that's demeaning and, and like just like really like, oh, honey. So Pastor Doug enlightened me to something that I've done, which thank God I didn't, didn't realize that was words of affirmation for him, which was more valuable than me just going over. Because he felt the same way. Thank God. You know, good job, good job. I'm like, that's for, that's like a dog. You yeah. know? <laughs> but 
Go share, ahead. Share what you thought was. Well, uh, okay, if you're motivated by words of affirmation, it's words of encouragement. It's words that, that you're speaking into someone's potential and capability, not just responding to a good thing. Um, it's what Jesus did to Gideon. He called him a mighty man of valor. That's an affirmation. And uh, it brought something out of Gideon that was on the inside. And that's really what affirmation is all about. So I guess the time zone I would tell Pastor Doug, you know, yeah, this is unacceptable to me. There's so more there. So Fiona is motivated by time and touch. So I've been a masseuse for 26 years. But I only have one client. <laughs> yeah. So we don't like to share our love languages with everybody, but, you know, you know it now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> if, so here's what I want to point out to you. If your spouse's love language is gifts, I feel like these are the people that get gypped the most. Because they only get a gift at, like, occasions. We, we have a son so, that's motivated yeah, by gifts. Yeah, we have a son that's motivated by gifts. We, he makes us aware of it all the time. Without telling us that's his love language. He just, like, gifts asks Gifts and it. service. Yeah, gifts and service, yes. Yeah. Buy me something and give and do something for me. Yep. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> all of intrinsic motivations. <laughs> well, um, so some are more motivated. <laughs> but the thing is, the, those whose love language are gifts, and if they're in your house, you need to figure out a way to give gifts to them regularly, daily yes. even. But it's a gift to them because nobody else gets it. If they're the only yeah. one that's getting that, that will be a gift. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. Preferably wrapped up something they have, a puzzle they have to unwrap. It's yeah. just the dream of a gift-motivated love language person. So um, I'm just saying you have to cater yeah. in love to the people in your house. You know, talk about what works for you, develop a plan, and put it into practice. All right. So the other thing is uh, we design our lives. Okay, so Doug and I, we design our lives around our yeah. call. Yes. And the call of our children. Yeah, we sat on the couch together and, and talked about these yeah, things. Yeah, this is how we got these. So our lifestyle is all surrounds the yeah. call of God in us and our children. Yep. So that's why we don't follow everybody else's lifestyle. So because everybody's kid is in this sport doesn't mean my kid has to be in this sport. First of all, my kid doesn't want to be in a sport, so that's knocks that out but even if they wanted to it was altered to accommodate the call yeah in other words the call wasn't altered to accommodate what the society was doing we alter what society we take from it what we want but the call and the plan of god for our life is the main ingredient happening in our house right so that's something that we did early on I remember Gabe, he, he wanted to play soccer and all these things. So he tried them for one semester, you know, one season. And they go, okay, I want to do this. Okay, great. Everything can happen for you, honey. Everything. But these things are priority. So if there's a clash, guess who gets knocked away? Yeah. It ain't. And it's, it's a pretty fluid atmosphere in our yeah, home. Yeah, we don't, we don't sit down and tell you bedtime stories and tell you have to read so many chapters a day. I mean, we didn't even really give our kids bedtimes, to be honest with you. Yeah, they didn't really have a bedtime. They just needed to go to sleep because we're tired. Let's yeah. all go to bed. So what we yeah. did, but here's what we did. So when Gabe got into high school, he was doing uh, online school the whole time. But then Up in high, high school, school until yeah. high school, he wanted to go to high school to physically be in school. But after the first year of high school, he goes, this is a waste of my time. I'm coming back home. But then the subjects got a little more difficult online, so he went back to high school. So anyway, 
But what he found out was if he stayed up until 1 a.m., getting up in the morning to go to school was quite difficult and he was tired. So he self-adjusted. He figured out the time he needed to go to bed so that when he wakes up, he's rested. We let him figure that out. Yeah. So at some point, your kids do need to be told to go to bed, but at some point, they got to figure out how their bodies work. So you got to know what that timing is. You know, if it's too strict, who wants to live in an atmosphere like that? Like, it's not a prison. I don't know. I, you don't want to create an atmosphere at home where the kids can't wait to get out. <laughs> like, I mean, you know, that's just terrible. So I'm just saying. They're in rules all day at school. Then they come home. They have more rules. Like, when do you get a break? And this is why kids just snap, you know? And they try to find some place they can snap at. But I'm yeah. just saying. If you did it, just repent. All right, <laughs> and and on. Okay. Um, develop, all right. The other thing is, da, 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 if you're, what else? Um, we talk about toxic things in a marriage. Oh, Joshua said, for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Yeah. The bottom line, here's what we want to do at the church. We discussed this with you before. We want this church to produce the strongest family relationships ever mm-hmm. seen in this community. Yes. We're saying out loud. So you can participate in that. You could, uh, you could develop this in your own homes so we multiply it. Because one of the biggest issues, we have Bible adventure, you know, here at the church and things like that. And we see kids. Kids are getting, nine children got saved last week. This, mm-hmm. this week here. Nine children yeah. got received Jesus. And some of these kids, some of the kids we've had coming from the school right here, they never heard the name Jesus. Yeah. They never heard, they never heard Jesus before, ever. They don't even know who? Jesus? What? So what I'm saying is, we're in a community of 7,000 people. So I don't know how many homes that represents, but it's less than 7,000. So <laughs> that's my math teacher's grade right there. What I'm saying is, as a church, if we work on our own homes, whether you're single or you're married, we can become the uh, producers. We can help yes. people. We can help our neighbor sort out their mess. We will know how to pray for the next door people that keep fighting all the time. We would know what to say. We would know how to take authority over the atmosphere of our streets. You understand what I'm saying? Because you are obedient to God inside your own house. And and we've all made the decision that our our homes are going to be the strongest Christian homes in our community. And it starts with priority. So you can let your light shine before men so that they see your good works and glorify God. Right. So we just want you to set the priority of the house of God and the calling of God in your house. It doesn't matter if your children have left the the home. You call on a reset. Start where you're at. Start where you are. Ask Ask God for a reset. Start modeling what you want them to do and you'll see what will happen you'll see the results you'll be astounded at the results moses grew up in two different homes yeah a christian home and pharaoh's home and he got into the ministry when he was in when he was 80 what were you going to say
Yeah. Rebuild. Rebuild. Yes. He will yeah. help you rebuild. So, that's Psalm 127. God's a rebuilder. One. He's a renewer. And uh, he does things. Right. So uh, everybody good? I mean, we yeah. kind of hammered it in this weekend. But it's all for the glory of God yes. and the, the strength of your life. You cannot operate in any relationship if you operate in fear. Yep. That's the f- ground rule. If you don't know what that all means, we wrote about fearlessness. and It's in the bookstore. We, there's other people that have written about it. Yeah. Just get a book. <laughs> I, I went to Guyana recently, and there was a young lady. And, and I'll tell you this quick story, then we'll close. Quick. Doug's like, please hurry up. People have to go home. We, we, uh, so she was so fearful. Like this girl was so fearful. I said to her, girl, I can't even be in your presence right now. The spirit in me and the one operating around you were having a problem. I, I can't even talk to you. Like you're just so full of fear. And then I remember I had a book. I said, I got to find one of my books. You need confidence. You need so much confidence. And I, so I said, wait a minute. I wrote a book called about confidence here. I'm going to give you this book. Read it. She, she started reading it. She's in chapter two. She comes. I saw she's like totally changed. She comes. She's having these conversations. That night we're talking. She goes, who would have thought that a book could change your life? And I was like, well, yeah. I mean, the Bible is 66 books. That's a change of life. But she was like, I ju- I'm just in chapter two. And already, and so for her now at work, she is experiencing what I was experiencing with her. She's experienced with coworkers who are so fearful. She said, I can't even handle being around them. I went, hello. <laughs> so anyway, your life can change like masterfully quickly. That's what. That's Amen. What Let's to pray. Let's pray. Father. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. We're so grateful and thankful for your word. Thank you, Lord, that you created these things. Yes. And you can lead God and direct us into these Thank things. You, Father. We just turn these things over to you, Father. Our homes, yes, our marriages, Lord. our families, yes, and our Father. future. It's all yours, Lord. We give you the glory, the honor, and the praise. Touch each and every person here today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, listen, God bless you guys. This is the first of, I think we're going to do this again. Yes. And, um, and tell people about it for next year so you have more families. We're going to reap a harvest from all this time that you put in. Amen. Thanks to everybody that did such a great job and putting everything together. Thank you guys so much. All right.